0: Would you open your Bibles up this morning to the Gospel of Mark? We will, of course, be in chapter 1 this morning. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, hear the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Let's pray together. My soul clings to the dust. Father, would you give me life according to your word? Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. No, Father, we do come this morning crying out, saying, my soul clings to the dust. And we come to your word this morning and we say, give us life. Give us understanding this morning that we may keep your law. Incline our hearts to your sure testimonies and turn our eyes away from worthless things. Oh, Father, we confess our sins to you this morning. We confess all of the worthless things that we have longed for and desired. And this morning we give them up. We turn from them. And we long for you to do work upon our hearts this morning by the preaching of your word. We ask that by your spirit you would draw near and reorient our vision. You would reorient our values. That you would turn us to see Jesus in the fullness of his gospel. We pray this morning that you would lead us to worship. That you would lead us to have joy in your son. Father, we pray, give us life according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if last week was the warm-up, this week is the workout, and we're going to work out this morning. Mark writes in verse 1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This sentence, and we... Really, can't even call verse 1 a sentence because there is no verb. Seems simple enough on the surface. We hear these words all the time, they are part of our common Christian currency gospel centered preaching, gospel centered parenting, gospel centered marriages, gospel centered family. And there isn't a more common phrase than Jesus Christ or the Son of God in our gatherings. We pray to Jesus, we call upon Jesus, we preach about Jesus, we even sing to Jesus. These are all good things. But the the danger in this is when we use these words so frequently, we can just begin to assume what these words mean. We can just say them without wondering or even examining their definition or their content. And so Mark draws us near in verse 1 and he calls for our attention. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he invites us to give full examination to the content of verse 1. He invites us to ask, What is this gospel? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? And why does any of this matter? But here's the rub, and this is where the workout comes in. Mark invites us to examine these words. He calls for our careful consideration. He calls for our examination. But we are given no help in verse 1 to make sense of these important words. And the careful readers that we are, we can widen out our search for these answers. We can probe the whole gospel of Mark, looking to understand and get definitions for these phrases. And we'll hear these words come up through the Gospel of Mark. Just in chapter 1, we will hear Jesus preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom. And we will hear Jesus giving parables about the Gospel of the Kingdom. And we will hear people give confession to who Jesus is. Peter will confess Jesus to be the Christ. And the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross will confess Jesus to be the Son of God. But we do not find nice and neat definitions and this leaves us with a bit of a problem because the whole narrative of the gospel of mark hangs upon these precious important words we could liken verse one to mark's thesis statement this is what mark sets out to prove and expound to us and if we can't make sense of mark's thesis statement how can we understand the rest of this book So these words are not just important for the narrative as a thesis statement, but as we look to the gospel and survey it, we find out that these words are integral for our lives and for our godliness. Jesus comes to us and he says, Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus calls us to sacrifice our lives for the gospel. He reasons, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel's, We'll save it. And through the story, as this narrative works upon our hearts, we're called to give good confession to who Jesus is. We're called to cry out like Peter and say, Jesus is the Christ. We're called to cry out like blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we're led to cry out with the Roman centurion and say, This is the Son of God. If we want to see Jesus, if we want to hear Jesus, if we want to follow after Jesus, we need to understand these terms rightly. So what is Mark doing with us this morning? We need to know these words and their meanings. We need to give our lives and allegiances to the content of these words. Was Mark in such a hurry as he wrote this gospel that he forgot to tell us what these things mean? Was Mark a negligent author, just bumbling about in his work? It's safe to say that Mark is not a bumbling or a forgetful author. Rather, he has carefully crafted this narrative, and we're going to see his care and precision as a writer as we work throughout this story of Jesus. But Mark comes to us as a writer, and he expects something of his readers, and he expects something of us this morning. And what he expects is that we have a working knowledge of the Old Testament. If we were to make sense of his gospel and the story about Jesus, we have to know the Old Testament. And instead of giving us a clear-cut definition to the gospel and to the identity of Jesus, Mark points us to where we can begin to make sense of these words. And here we have to connect verse 1 to verses 2 and 3 this morning. Mark carefully instructs us where we can find the meaning of these words. Mark writes, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So Mark leads us to an important teaching point already this morning. Just as the Old Testament cannot stand by itself, without the witness of the New Testament, we can make the reverse true as well. The new cannot stand without the witness of the old. The preaching of the gospel, the exposition of Jesus Christ, on their bare terms, cannot make any sense to us. But Jesus must come clothed to us in the garments of the Old Testament. We can just think about it with an easy illustration. One does not pick up a novel and open to the middle of the book and think that they can make sense out of the novel. And Mark is working the same way. Mark is telling us in these first three verses, if we want to understand the person of Jesus, his kingdom, his blessed gospel, and all that is at stake in this, we had better give attention to the scriptures. When Mark writes in verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, he invites us to come along and to peer into the pages of the Old Testament. But as a good writer, he does not leave us to our own devices because the Old Testament is a big book. The Old Testament is a long book, and we could easily get confused and lost on our way. So Mark in verses 2-3 through provides a string of quotations. And by quoting these passages one after another, Mark provides for us a guided tour through the Old Testament. And Mark is going to take us to the places that are most relevant and poignant for us to fully understand Jesus and his gospel. So as we follow Mark on this guided tour this morning, we want to concern ourselves with three specific questions. First, Who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Second, what is this gospel? And third, what is at stake in this gospel? It might be helpful this morning to start downstream and work our way up the stream. So instead of starting with the questions of who is Jesus or what is this gospel, we can begin by asking, what is at stake here in the gospel? What is at stake here with the appearing of Jesus and his preaching about this gospel? As we begin our guided tour of the Old Testament, we quickly realize that Mark does not simply take us to one place. Well, Mark says in verse 2, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, if you have your cross-reference Bibles with you this morning, you will see that Mark doesn't simply take us to the book of Isaiah, but he takes us to the book of Malachi. And if your cross-reference Bible is really good, it'll give some more echoes and allusions because Mark also alludes to the book of Exodus and also to the book of Genesis. So this raises a question right away. Why does Mark say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then immediately quotes from Malachi and then alludes to Exodus, and even to the book of Genesis. Well, what we see Mark doing here is something we will see him doing throughout his gospel. Mark will start on a topic and then he's going to quickly interrupt with another piece of information and then return to that stated topic again. It's going to be an A, B, A format. And these are called Markan sandwiches. That's what scholars call them. If you go to seminary, You end up talking about sandwiches and what kind of sandwiches Mark likes. And we call them Mark and Sandwiches for good reason. A sandwich has two pieces of bread and then something placed in the middle. And we see a sandwich in our text this morning. Mark begins by laying a piece of bread out. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he places meat upon that piece of bread. He quotes from Malachi. And then he places another piece of bread on top of that meat, and he actually quotes from Isaiah finally. So Mark places this sandwich here as a teaching tool. Mark interrupts his quotation of Isaiah with Malachi to press upon his hearers the urgency and the demand of the gospel. So Mark quotes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It'd probably be worthwhile for you this morning if you have your Bibles open to turn to the book of Malachi. In our English translations, it's the, the last last book in the Old Testament. So Malachi chapter three verse one. <clears throat> it reads, "Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come to his temple." and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So what does this mean? We're probably not very familiar with the book of Malachi, but Malachi is an urgent book. It is a book consumed with the coming of the Lord and what this coming will mean for the people of God. Malachi tells the people of Israel in chapter 3, verse 1, The Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come to his temple. Behold, he is coming. And this seems like good news on the surface. The Lord is Israel's God and Savior. This Lord is the one who took them up out of the land of Egypt, who guided them through the wilderness, who gave them food and water. However, Malachi reveals that this coming of the Lord is problematic for the people of Israel. Malachi reveals a sad state of affairs. He begins with the priesthood. The priesthood is corrupt. They minister for profit and pleasure instead of the glory of Yahweh. And this rottenness that has infected the priesthood has spread to the nation at large. Chapter 2 verse 11 indicts the whole nation. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So what does Yahweh do with this faithless people? Well, he sends faithful messengers to them to call them back. And we get a hint of this in chapter 3, verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So Israel's faithless. Yahweh's faithful and he sends messengers calling the people back. So what will happen? Malachi leads us to understand what the coming of the Lord means. In chapter four, he begins to explain. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor nor branch. What does this mean? Malachi teaches us that for the disobedient, for those who refuse to repent, for those who refuse to heed the words of the Lord, the arrival of God will be a day of terror and judgment. Wrongs are going to be settled on this day. Justice is going to flow out and judgment will find the guilty. And Malachi goes on to explain what the coming of the Lord means. He says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Well, what does this mean? For the obedient... For the one who hears the Lord's call to forsake sin and to return to him, the coming of the Lord is going to be a great and joyful day. A day of healing and joy. A day when justice shall reign upon the earth. So the great question that Malachi pushes on us is what will the Lord find when he returns? When he comes? Will he find an obedient people who are forsaking sin and turning to him? Or will he find a rebellious people stuck and stubborn in their ways? What we see from this interruption of Malachi and the Gospel of Mark is that absolutely everything is at stake in the Gospel and the coming of the Lord Jesus. In this Malachi message, we are presented with this dual vision. The obedient find salvation, but the disobedient only receive judgment. And this very duality is worked out in the pages of the Gospel of Mark. For those who heed the word of the Gospel and cling tightly to Jesus, they're going to find salvation. They're going to find joy and peace and even wholeness. And we're going to see this worked out through the story of the Gospel of Mark. We can think of the woman with the flow of blood as she latches on to Jesus. Jesus. Or we can think of Jairus, who comes to Jesus and implores him in faith. But for those who do not heed the word of the gospel, for those who do not repent, they're only going to find judgment and condemnation from Jesus. And we can think of pictures of this in the Gospel of Mark. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they all saw Jesus' mighty works. They heard his teaching and his mercy But they would not heed, and they only received judgment. And the great question presented again and again in the Gospel of Mark is what will Israel do with Jesus and his preaching of the Gospel? Will they give allegiance to him? Will they turn from their sins? And by quoting Malachi, Mark brings this urgency to our hearts as well. We are not exempt from this dual vision that Malachi presents. Who will we be? Will we be like rebellious Israel, whose necks were so stiff and whose hearts were so hard? Will we be like Israel and be insensitive to the glory and worth of God? Will we be a people who continually grieve our Maker? Or will we be a people who hear the preaching of the gospel? will be a people who hear the summons of Jesus Christ and come to Him and cling to Him for life and salvation. For Jesus comes in the Gospel of Mark and He calls us to life and joy and peace and even wholeness. And this is the weight of the Gospel that Mark presents to us. It carries the urgency of eternity And Mark works here by quoting Malachi so that his hearers, so that we would feel the urgency and the demand of the gospel and the weight that it comes with. For everything depends on how we react to the preaching of the gospel. So we can now move a bit further upstream. We can ask, what is the gospel? So Mark continues his guided tour of the Old Testament And he finally takes us to a stated definition, the prophet Isaiah. In verse 3, Mark pulls from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which reads, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our gods. Just like the book of Malachi, the book of Isaiah paints a bleak picture of the people of God. One does not have to read very far in the book of Isaiah to get a sense of what is going on in Isaiah's time. The first chapter of the book of Isaiah says this, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand Israel is worse than an ox and a donkey. They do not know. They do not understand. And Isaiah does not only reveal the situation of the people of Israel and their hard hearts, but he brings us into close proximity with the God of Israel. We can fast forward to chapter 6, and we hear the cries of the seraphim as they worship God. They cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the great question becomes in the book of Isaiah is, what will this holy Lord do with this unholy people? In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, in large part chronicle the judgment that the holy Lord is going to bring upon this unholy people. Chapter 6 reveals the Lord's intentions for this unholy people. Yahweh says to Isaiah, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. What the Lord is telling Isaiah is exile is coming to these unholy people. This is the judgment of the Lord. It's what they deserve, and it's what they're going to get But if we know the book of Isaiah this morning, we know that there are not only 39 chapters, there are more. And the book of Isaiah doesn't end with exile and wrath. But when we leave the 39th chapter of the book of Isaiah and enter into the 40th chapter, we we hear a new note being played. And chapter 40 is where Mark brings us to make sense of the gospel. Isaiah chapter 40 begins with these precious words. Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. And here in chapter 40, after the first 39 chapters, Isaiah begins to teach us what the gospel is all about. The gospel is a reversal of fortunes. While Israel received wrath and only deserves wrath for their sin and their idolatry, the gospel declares that Israel's sin is pardoned. Israel was exiled from the land of promise, but now the gospel declares the Lord will gather them up and lead them back to their land. Israel was handed over to brutal nations in the wrath of God. But now the Lord reveals he's going to come and he's going to fight for his people as a great warrior. And the gospel cannot be just confined to Israel. But this great reversal comes to the nations. Isaiah shows picture after picture of this great reversal. He shows the nations flowing into Jerusalem. He shows the nations joining in worship. He shows the nations even joining the priesthood. But we have to ask, What brings this great reversal about? How is it that Israel, in all their sins, can be forgiven? How can the exile be over finally? How is it that the idolatrous and pagan nations can come to Jerusalem and worship the Lord and even be caught up in the priesthood? And Mark's citation of Isaiah points us towards a definitive answer. Mark writes. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The Mark's citation tells us that the Lord is going somewhere. and We have to ask, where is the Lord going? We can go back to the context of Isaiah. And when we go back to the context of Isaiah, we see that the Lord is returning to his people. Isaiah goes on to say in chapter 40, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That's the gospel. Behold your God. We can ask Isaiah, we can push him on this, but what does it mean for the Lord to return to his people? Well, Isaiah tells us, For the Lord to return, it means the full revelation of Yahweh's saving power and might. Isaiah goes on to say in chapter 40, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. The gospel that Isaiah looked forward to in his day is the gospel that Mark unfolds before our eyes. Mark's story is about the return of God. His gospel is the revelation of God's saving power and might. The gospel is the news that the true king of all has drawn near and he is setting things right. It is the news that Yahweh is king and he is near and he is saving his people from sin and death and slavery. Mark's proclamation of the gospel as he reflects upon Isaiah calls for our deepest reflection this morning. Mark pushes on our understanding of the gospel because Christianity, according to Mark, is just not a matter of privately held opinion. It's not a story about just me and God. It's bigger than this. It's grander than this. The gospel declares the earth-shattering news that God has come, that he has exerted his power and his might upon the earth. And it is this great reversal of fortunes that we ourselves, members of the nations, have been caught up in. A reversal that rights the wrongs of sin. A reversal that leads a multitude of pagan idolaters to worship Yahweh in truth. A reversal that changes the course of history. A reversal that renews creation for God's intended plans. And so this leads us to our last question. Who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And Mark faithfully proclaims the gospel to us within the pages of Mark. He tells us that Yahweh has returned to his people. He tells us that Yahweh's saving power and might have been revealed. He shows us in these pages, which we will read in coming weeks and months, God's great rescue plan. But when we turn to the pages of the Gospel of Mark, we have to ask, where is Yahweh? Where is this great king? And when we scour the pages of Mark to find Yahweh, when we rummage through this story looking for Yahweh's mighty right arm and his saving strength, we come only to see a man by the name of Jesus who comes from a small town called Nazareth. And this is unexpected. And this Jesus is completely unexpected. In this man from Nazareth, we see unparalleled strength and might and authority. He stands tall against Satan in the wilderness. He exerts his power over demons by just his words. He controls the seas. He even walks upon the seas. He takes up the law of the Lord and he definitively applies it and interprets it so that the crowds say, we've never heard anyone speak with authority like this. He takes up the most holy day, the, the Sabbath, and says that he is Lord over it. And he draws near to sinful creatures. And by just his word, he forgives them of their sins and makes them whole. And we are left to ponder and wonder as Mark's readers who is this Jesus from Nazareth? He does only what Yahweh can do, he speaks like only Yahweh speaks. Only the Lord can forgive sins, only the Lord controls the seas, only the Lord walks upon the waters. But Mark continues to press us into the unexpected because this Jesus does not just show unparalleled strength and might and authority, but he shows unqualified humility and weakness and poverty. We see in the pages of Mark Jesus being baptized in the Jordan by John. Jesus willingly identifies with sinful Israel. We see his fellowship with sinners as he dines with them. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' ministry of mercy and grace to the downtrodden and to the sick is paraded before us. We see him ministering to the outcasts, to the unclean. We see him having fellowship with lowly children. And most shocking of all, Mark leads us to the city of Jerusalem. Where we see this Jesus tried for blasphemy. Where we see this Jesus mocked and scorned. Where we see this Jesus be tortured. And ultimately we see this Jesus of Nazareth crucified on a Roman cross. And again, Mark leaves us to ponder and wonder. Who is this Jesus from Nazareth? He's a man who performs mighty miracles and power. He speaks like Yahweh. But on the other hand, he's a man full of humility and mercy and grace. And he suffers and he dies. And this is Mark's point. And here he leads us to the headwaters. Mark brings us to Malachi. Malachi speaks of this powerful God who's going to come in judgment and salvation. Malachi speaks of the day when the Lord will come suddenly to his temple. Mark brings us to Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks of this glorious return of Yahweh. Isaiah preaches to us, Behold your God. And all that Mark does is show us Jesus again and again and again. So we have to ask, Who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Well, Jesus is not just a prophet, though he does prophesy. He's not just a teacher, though he does teach. He's not just a wonder worker, though he does produce wonders. He's not just a tragic victim oppressed by tyranny. But Mark shows us Jesus. Jesus is the God of Isaiah. He's the God of Malachi. And when we see Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen God himself. Mark begins to teach us about the way of our God. Yahweh's saving power and might, his glorious kingship, is not established through the sword or through the chariot, but this great kingdom is ushered in through meekness and gentleness and suffering, even the death of Jesus. And it is evidenced in mercy and in hospitality and unceasing kindness. Malachi and Isaiah wrote and they longed for the coming of God. They set their sights on the great day when, when the king of Israel would draw near once again and judge the guilty and rescue his people from slavery and sin and idolatry. Isaiah preached with eager expectation Behold your God. And Isaiah and his generation that he preached to never saw the outcome of this preaching. And Mark sets before us this morning in the Gospel of Mark a definitive word. The day has come, the Lord has appeared, salvation and judgment are here. Isaiah preached, behold your God, and Mark preaches a better message to us. A message that has come in fullness. Mark holds out the blessed Gospel to us, saying, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as we work through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see God's reign established in Jesus. We're going to see salvation flowing out, and we're going to see judgment working in the midst of Jesus' ministry. And according to Mark, this is only the beginning. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we... Thank you for your word this morning. We pray again. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Oh, Father, give us sight. Give us hearing so that we might see and believe and follow after this Jesus of Nazareth who is the gospel himself. Show us Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.